0: welcome to the art school podcast i'm ken goshen Today I'm speaking with Jesse Smith. Jesse is a renowned tattoo artist and you might know him from season two of Ink Master, now available on Netflix. His work is absolutely incredible and the show is really fun, so I recommend checking it out. Jesse's won numerous awards for his tattoo work and has been featured in almost every tattoo publication out there. He tattoos at his own shop in Richmond, Virginia called Loose Screw Tattoo. And although he's no longer taking on new clients, he's always taking submissions for future clients. So if you're interested in getting tattooed by him in the future, you can do so via the contact section of his website, jessiesmithtattoos.com. And as always, this podcast is brought to you by the generosity of my Patreon supporters. They make it possible for me to set time aside to produce this show which has been exceedingly difficult this month, as you may have noticed. I really want to get to the point where I can bring you this show every week, but I need your help to get there. So if you like what I'm doing, please consider becoming a supporter at patreon.com slash $2 supporters have access to all live events and to over 30 hours of video content, which is an unbelievable return for $2, in my opinion. But most importantly, my supporters know they are helping me produce free educational content that everyone can enjoy, like this show. So thanks in advance. And now I bring you my conversation with the great Jesse Smith. All right, Jesse, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, man. Thanks for having me.
0: So first question, uh, probably a little bit of an open one, but what made you want to become a tattoo artist?
1: You know, I honestly, I wasn't really trying to become a tattoo artist initially. Um, You know, I just was always doing art and I ended up stumbling across this guy who was tattooing out of his house and he, uh, you know, I would just draw with him and sometimes he would tattoo my designs. And one day he just asked me if I was interested in doing a tattoo and I said, sure. So he taught me how to make a ghetto gun. So, you know, essentially it was like a, a Walkman motor and a ballpoint pen and a toothbrush and a sewing needle. And that's what we used. And so he taught me how to make that. And I did a tattoo on one of my friends. And at the time I was in the military. So I had a a large pool of of humans who were uh, willing to allow me to practice on their skin. So as soon as I did that one tattoo on him, you know, the people just started lining up at the front door. You know, obviously not so much because my tattoos looked good. It was more because I was doing them for free.
0: (laughs) So so if I understand this correctly, because uh, this is this is a non-tattoo lingo zone, what you mean is that you built essentially your own tattoo machine?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I keep forgetting. Um, yeah. So, you know, you have your basic tattoo machines. And back then they ran off of uh, coils, which is like a magnetic field that gets turned on and off with a spring that punches back and forth. And, uh, you know, they, they also have the prison machines. And the guy who taught me had just gotten out of prison. And what they do is they take like a Walkman motor and then they take uh, the part that spins and they make it so it kind of is offset and then they connect uh, a needle to it. So it pushes the needle in and out. Mm. And then the toothbrush kind of holds the ballpoint pen, which is the, the part that holds the uh, the needle inside of it. So,
0: Oh, that's brilliant. So to anybody who is listening and the, the majority of them are classical artists, I'm going to attempt and you're going to correct me if i'm wrong to explain the basic mechanism of a tattoo machine so essentially you have something that holds the ink a needle that holds the ink and any kind of uh, motor that makes that needle go in and out very fast so that you can essentially be drawing and that needle while you're drawing is going in and out of the skin uh creating little punctures and and introducing ink into the skin is that more or less how it works
1: yeah, for the most part. I mean, you know, the, the older machines, you have two different types of machines. You have one that runs off of uh, magnets, and what happens is it turns the magnet on, which sucks the uh, needle bar towards the magnet, and then it turns it off very, very quickly, so it kind of bounces back and forth. So you've mm-hmm. got that situation. Then you also have the rotary machines, and those run off of motors, and that's where you have like an offset on the edge of the motor that kind of pushes the needle in and out. And the interesting thing that about how the tattoos are, you know, the ink gets into the skin is a lot of people think that the needle pushes the ink into the skin. Whereas what actually happens is the needle goes in the skin and then when it pulls out, that suction sucks the mm. ink into the skin. You know, like if you stick your foot in a, in a, in a puddle of mud and all the water's out. And then when you pull your foot out, all the water sucks into that hole. Mm. So that's kind of like the, the, the how the ink gets in there
0: that's amazing so you're saying that essentially you started out drawing in more traditional mediums like uh like what for example what were you making your art with at the time
1: so you know uh i think i have sketchbooks all the way back to the age of 13 or so um And then, you know, I did a lot of black and white, just graphite, stuff like that. And around the age of 17, my mom was always pushing me to do uh, color. And I was like, I don't want to do color. I don't want to do color. So I was just doing black and white. And then around the age of 16, 17, I actually moved to Heidelberg, Germany. And the graffiti Mm. scene was insane over there. So I started doing graffiti, which, of course, got me into color. Um, So I was actually using spray paint and a lot of color pencils back then. you know, I, I didn't really have anybody that was teaching painting or anything while I was in high school. Um, it was really, uh, a lot of the stuff they were teaching in high school was a little bit, I guess, um, I don't know. I'm sure, you know, they weren't teaching us like kind of high end stuff. And I had already learned all that, all the the basics of, of art at that point. So they're teaching us kind of like younger stuff. So I was just going as far as I could with, with the stuff that they they were, were teaching us. And then I went to uh, uh, college at Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond, Virginia. And while I was in in school there, you know, we played with charcoal, we played with oil paint, we played with paint. Um, I also airbrushed at uh, King's Dominion down here. Um, So you know, I was just always trying to use any and all mediums I could, uh, because you know, as you know, every medium offers a different uh, a different lesson. So
0: oh, obviously, and for me being such a technical nerd and 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 the amount of time that I spend telling people to kind of really get to know their materials before before they do anything else i'm I'm assuming um coming from spray paint where there's very little resistance, like you don't feel the wall pushing back against your your sure. your can. How was the transition like uh when you started getting into tattooing uh in terms of the handling the medium were you able to easily convert the kind of images that you were doing in in other mediums? to the basically to the skin
1: yeah you know i mean i think uh, the medium typically requires more you know technical ability and your, your techniques and stuff whereas like the art that you produce is that's all comes from your brain so as long as you know that you know you're going to put this warm color i mean i, I could probably take you out and and give you a couple spray cans and show you like the quick idea of how that medium works and i guarantee you could do a pretty rad piece you know, it's just understanding those little techniques that kind of make it a little bit different. You know, and in spray paint, back when I first started doing spray paint, all spray paint was opaque. So you are, mm. you know, you kind of in the situation where you have to think um, in a certain order, you know, like uh, you would maybe go your darks and then start pulling over into your lights and then you would go back to your darks. You know, you're kind of moving back and forth to try to build the, the, the gradations up. Uh, you know, in, in the, the ratios that you want. Whereas like now they have transparent spray paint. So you can actually create the whole thing in black and white if you wanted and start putting mm. glazes over top of it.
0: No way. So, Essentially like a design. Yeah. That's crazy.
1: It's crazy. Right. So in, and it changed the game because I, I painted for about 10 years from like 93 to like 2003 ish, somewhere in there. And then I stopped doing spray paint because tattooing took over and then I started painting murals maybe like five years ago, and got back into messing with the spray paint. And I'm like, man, you know, they've got transparent black, they've got transparent white, transparent purple, you know. So I'm sitting there instead of having to like mix these shadows, you just take a transparent purple and throw it over a red, and you've got like a nice little shadow there, you know. Mm-hmm. And it and it goes on very slow, so that you can you know put a layer on there, and you're like, okay, I want that shadow to be a little bit darker, Boom, and then just keep going. So it really really kind of changed the game. But, you know, with that said, you know, each medium, like you said, they go on differently. If you're, uh, you know, we did airbrushing, uh, and airbrushing had a lot of transparent stuff going on. So trying to understand the transparency and what's going to happen when you put one color over the other and knowing that, you know, you could do a lot more glazing type
0: situations. And is that also possible with tattooing? I'm assuming that's fairly different.
1: It's it. So yeah. So tattooing is a little bit different. There's, there's uh, opaque colors and then there's transparent colors. Um, what I do a lot of now is I'll actually go in with my mid tones and then kind of lay a base of mid tones, out to my highlights. And the other thing you have to realize is you can't go any lighter than the skin tone. So like, if you're going to try to make a white, you can put a white on there, but you're barely going to see it. So you have to almost prepare for the fact that you're, you're fading your midtones into your lightest lights, and then I'll come back and start punching my darks in after that, mm. um, which is a completely different technique than I did when I first started. When I first started, I would go darks slowly fade out to my midtones, and then fo- slowly fade out to my whites. Um, and then I actually watched one of your videos a couple of days ago. I, I think you just put it up. It was the the chroma versus uh, values, mm-hmm. um, and you know, knowing that you are when when you start mixing black or white into a color, it loses its Uh, chroma right is that is that how you communicate it
0: yeah Yeah. certainly
1: and so so the tattoo world there was a lot of fighting that where in the tattoo world when i first started they were always saying you have to use black you have to use black you have to use black and and then I, i would fade things out with white so i'm basically losing all my chroma because i'm i'm essentially adding black and white to everything uh so now i i try to just work with the uh darkest um color the 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 original i guess the i don't don't know how to explain they have like in the ink world they actually have like 13 base colors and then Mm. they mix off of that Mm. so then i just work from those 13 colors and i mix off of that trying to not use white as much as possible and Mm. and then trying not to use black as much as
0: possible so wow that that really explains a lot because when you look at your tattoos they pop in terms of their in terms of their chroma you know they are so much like they're they're far more chromatic than what I'm used to seeing when I'm you know in my everyday uh New York life you know I see a lot of tattoos on the subway and I'm in I'm in the habit of, of scrutinizing them as I would any other artwork and a lot of them are very you know they're very muted and what I'm seeing you do is insanely chromatic, and in, in in relation to that, which I'm 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 assuming is you know as as you're describing, it's a passion that you have for making these very bright colors. And so, if if I were to try to understand what you said and 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 kind of repackage it, what you're saying is you're you're starting out with colors at their maximal chroma potential, the way that they come out of the tube, essentially and then sure. from that you fade away where you feel like you could you don't necessarily need all that chroma but you're 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 working in terms of your style to preserve as much color as possible while still um as much color as possible that still allows you to have variations in value would that be accurate yes
1: yeah hmm. and i would also say this you know keep in mind that it, you know, I try my best not to over-manipulate my photos before I put them online and stuff. Mm. But the photos that you see online are one. You know, they're I, I take them with a with a digital camera, uh, usually my iPhone, and then you know I usually put like a polarizing lens on there, so it's like perfect lighting. Um, and then it's right after the tattoo's been done, and then you're viewing that through uh, light being projected from your phone or your screen or whatever. So the vibrance that you see those tattoos on Instagram or whatever is going to be better than what you'd see in real life. Mm. Uh, not, not trying to like say that my tattoos, you know, that I'm, that I'm tricking the public or whatever by putting those photos up, but just realize that, that the photos you see on Instagram, no matter who's tattooing it, are typically going to be way better than it looks after it heals and ages a little bit. And then you're seeing it in maybe a blue light instead of a warm light that with a black backdrop being projected from your phone. Mm. So but yes, and you know the the other thing I was gonna say is we've got a lot of there's a lot of variables working against us in the tattoo world as far as trying to make things look bright. You know, you're you're working against the value of, of whoever skin you're working on. So everybody's got different um different values and different uh colors. Like some people have a little more yellow, some people have a little more pink, some people have a little more white. And when you tattoo the ink into people's skin, you're going in through a couple layers of skin. And whatever color the skin is above it, the tattoo ink has to show through that color. Mm. So, you know, if your skin's white, then you have this color coming through white skin, which of course is going to reduce the amount of chroma that you're going to get from the pigment. Um, So, you know, it's – it's and then on top of that, the the black. The blackest black that you can get on there, even if you put it in perfectly. The blackest black you can get on there might be like a value seven, you know, Mm. after all said and done. So being able to create that very high contrast uh, on skin is, is a little more difficult than it might be, you know, say painting or definitely digital, you know, doing mm-hmm. digital art. Your, your spectrum of colors is, is, is limitless, you know.
0: Another thing that I want to pick up on that I, I heard you say, and I just want to make sure that I follow up is you said your lightest value is the value of the skin. So maybe, maybe I'm misunderstanding it, but is it not possible to, for example, on somebody who's a dark skin, who has a dark complexion, uh, could you not use white ink to go to a lighter value than, than the value that he has?
1: I mean, you, you can, but the, the amount of, it ends up in the end after it heals and after it's aged a little bit in the end, it almost looks dirty you know mm. the the white won't look white at all the white will look like a. it might look like not even maybe like a half a value or even like a quarter value less than their skin it's mm. not a it's a, it's almost like a imagine doing a painting and you do a painting and you put down a white on the painting and then after the painting dries that white turns into a you know a I don't know. Uh, you, Naples yellow might even be a, a, a bad example. Maybe more like a burnt, uh, not a burnt sienna, a yellow ochre or something like mm. that. It's like the value kicks back so much that you almost have this false idea what that value actually is. So if you want to create a piece that that you can really understand the full spectrum of that value, the best idea is just to leave the skin, and then all the little white highlights and stuff. Those are just kind of like little additives that you can add to make it look good for the next six months, but then mm. past that point acid settles, you know, those don't really uh, don't really work as much.
0: And is that a technological thing? Like do you think that in the future white ink could be developed that is, you know, more permanent? It sounds to me like a technical issue that is resolvable or or is that or am I misunderstanding something?
1: Yeah, so it's I don't think it's a technical issue because the ink is always there. It's not like it disappears. It's just Uh, it's the ability to show through the skin, Mm. you know, so we tattoo it into like the third or fourth layer of skin. And so, I don't know, imagine, imagine putting a a frame on one of your uh, pieces of artwork with a flesh colored piece of glass over top of it, Mm. you know? So if you have like your value of skin over top of that, that painting that you've done, then it's not, not that the pigment or the ink, uh, or the paint is, is less, um, what's the word I'm looking for has, has less, um, you know, contrast, chroma or whatever, contrast, whatever it is. It's the, it's the glass over the picture Mm. that's actually creating that situation. So, you know, the only way to do that would be to figure out how to make your, uh, your skin more translucent, you know,
0: Mm. that is fascinating so actually this 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 brings me to a kind of larger topic i know of you know it's it's pretty common for classical artists or artists in general people who work in in traditional mediums to want to experiment with tattooing to want to maybe have a taste of that industry i have a tattoo machine myself i never actually tattooed oh, yeah. i i never actually tattooed any person but I've, I've practiced on oranges and it's you know it's pretty difficult and 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 something that you know and, and in my experience with with traditional media even when i try something that i that i haven't done before because i have all this experience with other mediums i i get confident pretty quickly but that that was not the case trying to tattoo sure. you know it was, it, there's there's something that's fundamentally different about trying to get into that field so perhaps if i could ask what do you think is the biggest like conceptual gap or technical gap that somebody coming in from the traditional world and wants to go into to tattooing like what do they need to understand that we don't understand what are the misconceptions what kind of skills do they need to press for before they try to make that leap
1: okay so you know the one thing that I think a lot of people don't think about when they get into the tattooing and I was one of those people is all the uh, all the 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 dangers of tattooing without understanding cross contamination and mm. and all the potential diseases and stuff that you can pass on Uh, So I always recommend to anyone before they start tattooing uh, other people uh, is to, I mean, the the best way to do it is to go through an apprenticeship uh, to learn from uh, an artist who can teach you that stuff. Uh, A lot lot of people don't want to do that, but that really is the best way. Um, But I, I believe there are some, some things online that kind of talk about the cross contamination and all that stuff. Uh, And I really think that that's one of the most important things is, it's just understanding how you could uh, potentially infect yourself and infect the people you're tattooing. Typically, they're your friends that you're tattooing because they're like, oh, yeah, then try it out on me. You know, you definitely don't want to give your friend hepatitis and you don't want to give yourself hepatitis. So um, cross-contamination is super important, I think, if, if people are looking to get uh, get into tattooing. And then as far as the, the technical application of it... Um, You know the. the, I think the one of the biggest hurdles is realizing that you're working on human skin in the end, and you have to. That has to make it through the healing process. And a lot of times, when people first start tattooing, they really overwork the skin, Mm. and they end up, uh, you know, damaging the skin, and then that in 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 return damages the tattoo. Uh, So you know, and that comes with practice. You know, just trying to understand how to get the ink in as quick as possible without doing the most, uh, doing the least amount of trauma. So, um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, when I think about all the mediums in the world that I've messed with, spray paint and uh, airbrush and tattooing are probably three of the more difficult ones. Uh, Just you know, I don't know. Oil oil painting's tough too. They're all tough. They all get their own things, and it's not like even if you think that you pick them up quickly it's not until you do it for 10, 20 years that you realize how dumb you were when you first started, when you thought you were good, you know? <laughs> so I, I think that, you know, I, I, I've, I've definitely more experience in tattooing than any other medium. Um, but I also, you know, with all the other mediums, as I've gotten older, I realize how ignorant I was at the medium at the very beginning. So
0: it's kind or of you that answered say, your question <laughs> no 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 it does and it, and it's kind of you to say that you know oil painting is difficult i'm going to res- respectfully disagree and say oils the easiest medium ever you know that's like <laughs> and sure. then uh, and it's just i mean a lot of people are intimidated by going into oil because it it has this like aura around it it's you know the medium that all the old masters use, but sure. trust me you know old masters They didn't have time to play games, you know, they lived in times where it's like, if you want to make a masterpiece, you need to work fast and you need to be effective. So essentially, oil paint is the technology that has developed over hundreds of years, that is meant to deliver the best results in the shortest amount of time, and provide artists with with the absolute optimal conditions. So, Having yeah. tried tattooing, I could tell you it's way harder. <laughs> it's way, way, way harder than 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 oil paint. And and especially like I'm gonna I'm gonna insert a a personal story here. So I was when I was experimenting with tattooing, I had I had this guy, Ivan, shout out to Ivan, Ivan Muniz, who is helping who has been helping me, you know, pick up the basics. And I was kind of teaching him oil painting. He was teaching me tattooing. And the stuff that I discovered that I can't do in tattooing that I'm a pro at in oil for example just running a straight line you know literally yeah. just drawing a straight line with a tattoo machine on an orange is difficult this is something that people don't understand uh it's just as as far as i'm concerned it's still it's still on my to-do list you know it's uh it's it's such a challenging thing but i would love to have the opportunity to to learn this medium and uh and it, it also humbles you as a painter thinking like okay like you know, I could do a portrait. That stuff's in my blood. But then you co- <laughs> you come over to the tattoo machine and you just can't even run a straight line. Did you, did you feel that way when you first started? You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step guide to starting your podcast today.
1: Well, you know, and the other thing I would say, too, is, I mean, how long have you been oil painting?
0: Oh, God. Uh... I don't know. I started in I guess I started in high school when I was 15, but then I I've been doing it I guess professionally or seriously for about 10 years.
1: So a long time. So like,
0: yeah, like you know the other years, thing I've noticed
1: years. I've noticed a lot of a lot of like with with a lot of artists. So there was these graffiti artists when I was coming up and they were they were amazing and they had already like kind of become famous in the graffiti world. And then they switched to tattooing. And they just never really took off with it. Some of them would quit. And I noticed that when, and then not just in that direction, I've seen people go the opposite direction where they, they tattoo, they get a certain level of fame, and then they go to paint, and it's just a little lackluster. And I think what happens is when you start oil painting and you're doing this and you feel so confident in it, and it's just like second nature to you at that point where you're just like plowing it out, you know, your patience as a younger artist for a new medium is a lot. Uh, a lot more than your patients as you have already learned a medium and try to jump them to another one. Um, but yeah, I mean, not to, not to take away from, you know, the, the difficulties of tattooing, but I do think I started tattooing when I was 21, I think, and I'm 44 now. So I've been tattooing for about 23 years. And when I first started tattooing, I was doing spray paint. I was doing airbrush. I was doing, uh, painting, oil painting, acrylic painting. I was doing it all So to me, they were just all, you know, I was just, just exploring at that point. And so I never really thought any of them were difficult to be honest. The one I felt was most difficult was airbrushing because you, Mm -hmm. you had no nothing to hold on to. You're in the air like this. Mm -hmm. And with spray paint, you're in the air like this, but you just push the nozzle and you can kind of move forward and back to get thick and thin lines fast and slow to do certain things with airbrush you have a a dual action airbrush where you push down the thing and makes the air come out and then you pull it back, which brings in more paint, right? So then you're having to move in in the air and then pull this, this knob back and forth to get Mm. more or less uh, paint to come out. And man, that thing was, it it took me a long time to understand how that worked. Um, You know, and I, when I, when I think about it, I almost feel like the airbrush was more difficult for me than tattooing but then like applying the tattoo is different than actually getting a tattoo to heal correctly. Mm. Cause I was applying really nice tattoos when I was younger, but then after they would heal, they'd look like shit because I'd, you know, overworked the skin and I didn't understand what I was doing back then. So I don't know. I, I, I don't want to take anything about uh, away from how difficult tattooing is, but I also think that, you know, after doing it for 23 years, I kind of probably, um, you know, have forgotten how difficult it was for me to kind of get to the point where I'm at now.
0: You know, I see. Maybe I'll share a little bit about. Um, I guess you could you could say an, an an immediate point of of conflict that that I've experienced with trying to get into it. It's something that I always tell my students. You know, when you're starting out, I have this analogy that I always use. When you start out with anything, you're going to fail to fail. You know often, right? So for example, sure. if somebody's just starting out learning basketball, they're going to get into, you know, the gym and then they're going to miss their shots many, many, many times until, sure. you know, steadily they're going to have better and better uh experiences and 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 eventually, you know, from missing most of the shots, you gradually start to hit most of their shots and then you learn how to do it. So essentially what I what I tell people is embrace the reality that you're going to be making many bad paintings before you start making good ones. But in tattooing, that means you're going to have some victims who are going to have suboptimal pieces of work done on their skin. Like, how do you negotiate that?
1: Well, you know, I mean, in bad is a relative term, right? So if you do a bad painting nowadays in your mind, most likely the majority of the humans in the world won't even notice that it's a bad painting. You know, you'll notice, and maybe like a a bunch of other artists who have been painting for a long time would notice. Be like, oh, why didn't he, you know, do a glaze here instead of you know a scumble or whatever, whatever, whatever it is that you you do for one or the other. But one thing I noticed when I was tattooing all these guys in the military, and I was doing, in my mind, I was doing crappy tattoos on them, is they were one hundred percent happy with them. They didn't mm. know the difference between a good tattoo and a bad tattoo. And, you know, I think it also comes with, you know, the client, you know, typically if they're, if they're spending less money to get their car fixed or spending less money for a meal or whatever, they don't expect it to be, but so much of a quality. And, you know, back then I was doing tattoos for nothing. You know, Mm. I might've done a, I remember I was doing thousand dollar tattoos for like 20 bucks. Just, I didn't really care about the money. I was just excited to be putting artwork on people's bodies, you
0: know? Mm, that's amazing. Um, Have you ever had an experience yeah. somebody was dissatisfied?
1: Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, the, the you know, there's, and the weird thing is a lot of times when the people are dissatisfied, it's usually something that really isn't a huge deal compared to stuff that I've done on other people. So some people you'll like completely, you know, like I, I had one guy I tattooed when I was tattooing out of my house and I was using the, um, I was using a, So in, in tattooing, they have kind of like brushes, like, like in the painting world, you have like really tiny ones and you have really big ones. So if you're trying to do a big fill on a painting, then you're going to use a big brush. Well, I always had problems using the big brushes for whatever reason, I couldn't get it really solid. So I would use a really small brush, uh, in, in the tattoo world. And I did this guy's huge arm piece with this little teeny brush and, when you do that, you end up actually tearing the skin up a lot more. Mm. So I tattooed that guy and he his arm just got nasty and scabby and pussy and all that stuff. Um, but in the end, it, you know, he was totally cool with it. I just went back over or whatever. And then you'll get someone else who you like, maybe one little teeny piece fell out. And you never know in those situations, whether it's the way you applied it, could be the way that they took care of it. It could be their immune system. Like there's a lot of variables involved in, a, in the healing of a tattoo and the application of a tattoo. And so then they'll come back and they'll be like, I can't believe, you know, I paid X amount of dollars and there's this little piece missing and they they give you a lot of shit about it. So, but yeah, I've, I've made lots of mistakes and I've, I've definitely had a lot of clients over like the past 23 years who uh, weren't weren't happy with their tattoos.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, sw- switching, switching, kind of abruptly. Being being such a fan of of your work, I encourage everybody who who hasn't looked at Jesse's work yet to to check out his Instagram. What's your Instagram?
1: Uh, it's Jesse Smith Tattoos. J E S S E, and then Smith, and then Tattoos. T A T T O O S.
0: So after everybody has seen it, I want to comment that. As far as I'm concerned this is this is a pretty unique style that you have. You know, beyond how far you you push color, you know, this there's an kind of I don't know how to call it like a I guess like a psychedelic illustrationy comic book feel to it that before having experienced it in in, in your work, I've never seen that before. And again, I live in New York, so I see tattoos often. Where did you come sure. up with that style?
1: You know, I mean, I style is one of those weird things. It's like, you know, asking someone where they came up with their personality, you know, like I, obviously your personality evolves from, you know, uh, who you're hanging out with and who you look up to. And uh, so the same thing with, with, I feel like my style probably spawned from um, Saturday morning cartoons and uh, Mad Magazine and Garbage Mm -hmm. Pail Kids, skateboards and graffiti. I would say that those are like the the major things, video games, Mm. you know, um, how old are you? I'm 32, 32. So yeah, I'm 44. So I've, you know, back when I was younger, um, you know, those, the, you know, the, the, the video games and everything were like the most creative thing we had back then, uh, you know, for younger people, I would say. Um, so that all that stuff kind of like just is entrenched in my brain, the skateboard scene was huge back then so i'd copy skateboard designs and uh even album cover art you know i remember uh i don't really listen to like megadeth and and stuff like that but i really like their album covers Mm. You know, i'd have like this guy evil ernie it was kind of cool or or is it evil eddie i can't remember but um but yeah that's kind of where everything i guess kind of spun from and then you know i went into the tattoo world and got inspired by a bunch of people in the tattoo world uh so i think it's just a bunch of that stuff mixed
0: That's fascinating. So what kind of if you could package this as an advice, what advice would you give young artists who are trying to find their own unique styles and specifically something that I hear very often and and I I hear a contradiction in, in the way that you're speaking about it, meaning like a contradiction between what I hear and what you're saying is that people say, you know, I don't want to be influenced by other people. I want to find my own unique style. But what you're saying is, you know, I was influenced by A, B and C and then I made it my own Could you talk a little bit about maybe how that happened for you and what you would recommend young people who are trying to come up with a style that is uniquely theirs?
1: I think first and foremost, uh, you know, you just have to draw a lot or do art a lot. You know, um, you know, I would do, I remember when I was in art school, the teachers would give us an assignment and everybody in the class would spend four hours on it and I'd spend 40 hours on it, Mm. you know? So I think just, it, and, and I don't know if that stems from, uh, you know, discipline, work ethic or passion. I don't know where that all comes from. But, you know, the more you do anything, the better you're going to get at it. And, and I don't think you can just go off and form your own style without understanding the fundamentals of how light hits a surface and how color works and, you know, all these things. And, and a lot of the artists that I noticed who say exactly what you're what you were saying um where they're like i don't want to be inspired by i don't want my my style to be influenced most of those are the ones who don't have a style and you know so i i i think those people who have a style would tell you that they they definitely copied stuff as they were growing up until they build up build up that visual vocabulary and then they start taking those pieces and then bending them in their own way after they've kind of built up that visual vocabulary a little bit mm. so um but you know i don't know i i i think that that it's kind of like a back and forth and left to right thing too it's like you know that when i was in art school i used a lot of reference and you know that was what they pushed you know use reference shoot reference then work from the reference and then what i would notice is when i'm working from the reference you know, my, my style per se, wasn't really coming out. So then what I would do is I would do something called like, I called it priming my brain where I would like, say I was drawing like a dog or something like that. I would, uh, I would basically pull a picture of a dog and I would draw it real quick just to kind of get the gist of what it was. And then I would would draw it in my own, my own style, you know, Mm. my head and kind of see where that went.
0: I love that, and I I love the way that you're describing it as visual vocabulary. I want to share maybe a, a personal story that I have um, about visual vocabulary and also about video games. So I I grew up, I was such a fan of video games, specifically Nintendo. I had my Nintendo 64, and I I, I played it nonstop. And specifically, my my favorite game was was Legend of Zelda. Uh, and I don't know if the, if you know that game, but in that game, uh, I remember making a very significant visual discovery there's a fairy in that game called Navi and it's a glowing blue fairy and I was always really stricken by by how that glow is working because that fairy kind of floats around the main characters heads and you know it's very eye-catching and what I noticed is you know that this fairy is blue but in video games, you can't really make something both very, very, very saturated blue and also very, very, very light. So what you actually have there is like a visual device. You know, the 85% of that fairy is pure white, just white, just to establish that light value. And only around the edges of that fairy, it suddenly gets super saturated blue. And from that moment, you know, after having copied it, I understood, okay, you can actually make something look chromatic and light if you put the chroma around the edges, but focus primarily on the value in the in the majority of the character's real estate. So uh, to all the people who say that video games are a waste of time, I think uh, like having grown up with all those video games and being very immersed in that um, visual landscape, I actually learned a lot of tricks. Uh, that I'm using till this day in my paintings.
1: Sure. Yeah. And then speaking of that, I just played a uh, Breath of the Wild, oh. uh, Breath of the Wild Zelda, oh. the new Zelda game. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. It's so beautiful, man. The, the, the aesthetics behind that. I mean, essentially you're playing like this high quality cartoon. You're just moving around with it, but yeah, I mean, there's so many things and I'm sitting there, I'm looking at these landscapes and I'm like, man, they look so, so luminous and and so bright and it's like how do you do that what value is how do you make that sky that value without losing the chroma you know by adding white to it and still having it so yeah those are all all tough things to to yeah but you're thinking those as an artist and the more you don't realize what you don't know until you try it and then once you realize that you don't know it then you start looking in video games and in the world and you start saying oh wait the shadow, the way that shadow hits that face is this way, not the way that I drew it. And so I think it's a lot of just trial and error and trial and error, you know?
0: Yeah. But I think something that perhaps people don't totally understand because it's very easy to be down on video games for all, for all the predictable sure. reasons. But you know, these video games have top notch artists working day and night to produce yes. that huge teams sure. of artists so, to all you parents out there who are kind of sad that your kids maybe play too much video games and 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 don't go to museums, you can actually you can you you can actually intervene and and make sure that they play games that are ex- very 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 artistic. Like I learned so much just from understanding. And you're you're mentioning Breath of the Wild, which is a stunningly beautiful game, and it's it's not it's not by accident. You know, they have such a, an amazing sure. team of artists constructing these virtual worlds. Uh, And there's there's really a lot to be learned from that about how to make atmosphere, how to make something feel like day, how to make something feel like night. Like, you know, it's not it's not like during nighttime, you suddenly have a difficult time seeing when you're playing that game, which is fascinating to me, because what what is night Uh, if it's if it's the absence of light, we're not supposed to be seeing anything. And yet we see everything super clearly, but it feels like night. That is an absolute accomplishment of 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 creating a color system that feels that way. So let us not take video games for granted. And and I think between between the two of us we've we've articulated a pretty solid pitch for playing some of those masterpieces.
1: Well with that said, I also am very um, you know, I'm very careful about how much time I spend on video games and TV and stuff like that. Because, you know, nowadays I I just, you know, I wonder if it is possible, if you had one of the, all those Renaissance artists back in the days, you know, Rubens and, and, well, I guess, you know, I know Rubens had a big old old team and stuff like that, but he was so prolific with the amount that he curated at least. But, you know, you take those guys and you put an iPhone in their hand and see how productive (laughs) they are. And you put a video game system in front of them and see how productive they are. I feel like nowadays everyone can do anything they want, anytime they want. And, it, and and it's hard for people to feel when they know that you see whatever is just come out. The new Zelda game came out or new song came out or whatever. So I really try to like uh, on my phone I actually have a, a screen time uh, password and I give it to my my girlfriend for me so I don't so I don't know how to get into my phone and I give myself you know, 15 minutes of Instagram a day and wow. five minutes of YouTube, just a little bit, you know, just in case I won't take a little break, but I am addicted just like everybody else. If I start, when I played breath of the wild, I didn't do shit for like probably a month. Yeah. <laughs> I just was every day playing that game. And, you know, that, I enjoyed it, but then at the end you feel like, you know, you feel, you feel empty, you know, there's, mm-hmm. there's no like in the, is the, is the journey, but at the end, you're just kind of like, okay, I did this journey. I beat the boss. I, I did, I beat. You know, and, and of course, you say conversations about it and stuff like that. And it's the one thing I love about art and I love about all these other things is that, uh, you know, you have something to show for it at the end. You know, you do a piece of artwork, that art's going to live on forever, you know, and um, you create a business, you know, I mean, although the business may not, may not live forever, but you know, you kind of have something to show for your time
0: Mm. and
1: uh, video games or in movies and stuff like that are are really tough to show your time.
0: That's very, very true. So I think, I think you, you touch on something very important. The addictive qualities of these devices need needs to be, you know, we need to be aware of that. And if you're only on there for 15 minutes, man, I envy you because I'm not (laughs) at that level, not in the least. Um, But if I can, if I can also say about, about those old masters and the conditions under which they lived, I think they would also be very, very fortunate uh, or feel very fortunate to be able to, to have the resources that we have at hand today. Like there's a very famous story about Durer who wanted to study Titian's work. So he basically had to leave his family for months and travel to Italy just to look at them yeah. once in his life you know sketch those titian paintings and then as he went back home all he had left is like his sketches and his memories so i think there's a lot of good that people who have discipline can derive from these from these devices you know if you want to copy titian one google search away and you can copy durer immediately after you know put those masters back to back and um sure. and there's so much to learn from it but uh, okay i want i want to kind of go back to um where i Okay so I was fami- I got familiar with your work through the show Ink Master that yeah. is now back on on Netflix uh, so I immediately you know I binged season 1 and 2 and I I really really enjoyed it could you kind of walk us through what was it like to be on that show and I I think you should have won but but like <laughs> but Thank but you. but but um yeah, I, what was it like?
1: Had I taken one of your classes before I went on that show, I might have won. <laughs> I don't
0: i don't I don't think so. They had um. they have this thing that I'm sorry for spoiling this for everybody, but you you guys should probably still see it. it's a it's a really fun show, but they were really looking for somebody who can do all the different styles. Now, I can't do all the different styles in painting. You know, if somebody put me on Paintmaster and then they told me to paint an abstract expressionist piece, I probably, you know, would flop. I'm not experienced in that sort of style. So I kinda I kind of feel like their requirement to to find a tattoo artist who can do absolutely everything. There is a contradiction there because the more you want to professionalize and and, and do a style to the best of your ability, obviously you're spending time harnessing every ability that you can in 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 the service of that goal, like you want to be the best at that one thing. And I totally understand that. And so sure. when you're, when you're being penalized for not being able to do stuff that you don't care about, I don't know, I'm not totally down with that idea, but maybe <laughs> I don't want to put words in your mouth. So how about you tell the story?
1: No, but you know, I mean, the, 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 I guess the, the word about the whole scenario is i used to do portraits back in the days and i just kind of had not done them a while. i think it had been 10 years since i did a you know black and gray application of a tattoo is different than a color application so i'd spent the last 10 years just balls of the wall color on everything and you know i, I should have done a little better preparing uh in order to get get through that portrait situation but you know it was, it was definitely a little weird like it was a little odd that I got into that competition and I won everything didn't win everything, but I won almost everything up to that point. And then all of a sudden I find myself in a situation where I'm a, you know, a new school artist battling four portrait artists in a portrait competition, you know, like it was definitely a, a, a scenario that seemed very, um, it seemed like I was putting that scenario on purpose. Uh, but anyways, yeah, being on TV was awesome. Um, You know, I've never, never felt comfortable talking in front of people, like large groups of people and never felt comfortable with cameras in front of me and stuff like that. And, you know, I, but I always liked reality TV. I used to watch MTV and there was like all these reality TVs, like, uh, reality TV shows. There was like Rock of Love and, um, you know, I love New York and, you know, flavor of love and all these, all these shows I would watch all the time. And I, and I was like, man, if I was on a reality TV show, I'd do this, this, and this. And I was like, but I'll probably never be on a reality TV show because I wouldn't want to be on a reality TV show for anything other than just me being myself, you know? And I was like, if they come out with an art one, maybe I'd do that. And sure enough, you know, this Ink Mastery came out and I remember watching it and being like, oh man, this is awesome. I was like, I'd love to be on this show, but I didn't really want to go out of my way to be on the show. Uh, you know, I don't know if it was an ego thing or what. Um, but they call, they actually called my shop and they were like, mm-hmm. Hey, can we speak to Jesse? And my friend answered, and we had just been like binging it on, um, I think I, I want to say we were watching it on the computer and we had been binging it at the shop. Everybody's watching it and stuff. And they called, and my, my friend was like, Hey, man, Ink Master's on the phone. I was like, Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. And I get on the phone and they asked me to be on the show. And even then I was like, Hey, I got to think about this, you know, like. I don't know. There's a lot. There's a lot at stake here. You know, I mean, at that point, I had already uh, uh, kind of built a reputation in the tattoo world. I think I'd been tattooing for about 15 years at that point. So I'd already built a reputation in the tattoo world. And I was like, man, if I get on TV, there's potential I could, you know, hurt my reputation. Um, but the one thing that kind of like led me into moving in that direction was, you know, if I don't do it, one day I'll look back and wonder what would have happened had I done that. And if I do do it and I completely flop, at least I know that, you know, I I, I tried, right? Mm. So I got, ended up getting on the show and I honestly, I think that they picked me specifically for the fact that I had that, I had a very distinct style. And I think that they were using that particular season to kind of like put the nail in the coffin of, in order to be an Ink Master, you have to do all these styles because, if you, if you notice, it's like the, the, right on the second episode, they're already calling me a one-trick pony. I had only done two pieces of art by that point. So it's like, why are they calling me a one-trick pony after, you know, two episodes? And they just nailed that into the ground the entire season. But behind the scenes, they were making me feel very comfortable with doing my own style. They'd say, They'd say, hey, are you going to do anything new? And then the next time they come up and they'd be like, Hey, we're going to do animals. And I was like, okay. And then a the guy would say, Hey, I want a new school animal. And I would basically ask the judges, Hey, are you guys cool with me doing new school? And they're like, you can do whatever you want. And so then I would do it. And then after they'd be like, well, we can't let this guy win because he did new school and he should have done portrait or whatever. So anyways, um you know being on the show recording it was awesome I almost felt like I was in art school because we would do these pieces and then we'd go and the judges would critique them and these critiques would be you know each critique would be about a half hour because they have to get a lot of content so they would say you know Jesse we think you should have done this and this blah 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 um and it was really fun and there was six of us initially so it was like I was working with other artists we'd stay up all night and draw together and have fun uh, and then after the show, you know, I ended up getting uh, getting kicked off on the portrait one. And when I got kicked off on the portrait one, I was like, had all this anxiety about how bad it was going to make me look, you know, to the to the masses and all that stuff. And you know, fortunately, I think you know, even even like yourself, it's like the people don't really so much remember the shitty portrait I do; they remember all the cool tattoos I did. And and I also think that my in the end, people remembered me for my art rather than my personality and and all the other stuff. And so, when people see my art, they're like, "That's the guy from Ink Master." Versus other people who are on that show, they put artwork out, and people don't realize they're on Ink Master until they see their face or see their you know personality. Uh, you know, so so yeah finish the show. Uh, and then we're waiting for it to air and I've got all this anxiety. It airs, you know, all of a sudden I'm super famous overnight. I've got everybody and their mom trying to talk to me. Um, you know, uh, old wrestling coaches, like just people I hadn't talked to forever and everyone, and everyone out there is trying to communicate with me at the same exact time. So of course I'm not able to do, communicate with all of them and, And then some of them are upset because they feel like that you owe them a response because, you know, whatever. So you end up making all these kind of enemies and it it really kind of parts to see all the people that kind of liked you before love you and all the people that kind of didn't like you before hate you. Um, So that was a weird kind of like situation that I hadn't dealt with before. Um, And then of course it slowly, (coughs) slowly kind of, (coughs) excuse me, it slowly subsides the fame uh you know i think it i was pretty famous there where i I couldn't go anywhere without getting recognized for probably like six months or so and then after that new seasons are coming out and people are you know they forget uh and then after it started dying down then i got hit up again to be on season seven which was like an all-star season Mm. uh went on that show and then it kind of shot up again um And then it kind of died down. And then of course it got on Netflix, you know, the beginning of December. And once again, it shot up again and, you know, it's, it's been, it's been crazy. And then they sell it off to like different countries. So I'll get little spikes in like Australia or, you know, in in Argentina or something like that. And, you know, the really cool thing is, is they'll, those, those countries will, will hit me up and be like, Hey, you know, we want you to come out to this tattoo convention and do an appearance and all that stuff. Uh, so I've, you know, I've been able to kind of travel all over the world because of it. So it's been, it's been a great experience, man.
0: Wow. That is, that sounds so amazing and so fun. I wish I, okay, my people, you you know where to find me. Where's the, where's the, where's the painter, master painter, ink, whatever thing for painters. I, I would love to, would love to do that too. Um but let me ask you so so the same the same thing that I kind of started ranting about cuz it it made me pretty emotional being an artist myself um and being pretty familiar with how this industry works how this market works and what i find that will make you successful as an artist is for people to know what you're good at and expect that thing from you i mean i'm sure a lot of people out there are looking to commission some, as I said before, abstract expressionist artist to paint, you know, an abstract picture for them. So they're they're not calling me, right? They're not calling me. And that's perfectly fine with me. The people who want portraits that have a classical aesthetic to them, these are the people who are gonna call me. And from having spoken to a lot of tattoo artists, I got the feeling that that industry works in a pretty similar way. Like there's this guy who's really great at whatever Japanese style tattoos. And so if you want a dragon sleeve in a classical Japanese style, you're going to go visit that guy. And so my understanding of how the art market and, and how clientele go about choosing whomever they trust with any project that they want to commission is that you, you need to have a style and, And people need to know you for that style. And then the way that this show works, where they're expecting people to basically put their style aside and do everything such that it's not even recognizable as your work anymore. Do you feel like that is is correlated with the way things are in the real world? Like, is Is this a legitimate expectation that they have from people who are tattoo masters in one domain? They are expecting everybody to know how to do everything. Like, how how realistic is that, and how necessary is it to be a successful tattoo artist?
1: You know, I, <clears throat> there's two things here. One, you know, that show wouldn't be interesting if it was st- if if do our own styles the whole time. I think that you know, in order to make good TV, they have to create conflict. In order to create conflict, you got to put people in uncomfortable situations and you know that's where the different styles come in uh you know and i've thought about this a lot is just you know how you know why it is they chose to do certain things and stuff like that And after all said and done it's a tv show first it's a competition second mm. uh without you know people watching the show they're not going to be able to do another season and the people who invest in the production and all that stuff won't be able to rationalize putting more time into it so have to think about that stuff first. Um, So on that note, you know, I think that it has to be like that in order for it to be an interesting show. Um, As far as like real life, you know, everybody's got their own priorities in life and and some people's priorities are to be famous. Some people's priorities are to make money. Some people just love doing art um, and some people are just happy being able to live off of that art, uh, you know, enough money to get by. Um, so, you know, I think that depending on what your priorities are, depends on what you should do with your career. You know, if you are just trying to do art, just love doing art, then, you know, who cares? You don't have to have a style. You just do art, you know, play with everything. Um, if you're really interested in being a successful artist, it probably would help to, in uh, success when, I, you know, having a recognizable style and, and being, you know, quote unquote famous Then, you know, specializing would definitely help because that creates kind of a brand of sorts. But I've also told people it's relatively easy to create a style. You know, like, you know, what is What create like there's a bunch of different things involved in creating a style. There's um, content. So if you're someone who likes to paint bunny rabbits all day, every day, if you paint bunny rabbits all day, every day, you become the bunny rabbit guy. Um, color palette, if you use the color pink in every tattoo uh, the same way, then you become the guy who does pink paintings. Um, you know. And then there's, of course, the, the style in which you draw, like the, the angles and stuff that you use, the perspectives, stuff like that. Um, so really, it's, it's more repetitiveness of doing the same thing, um, using the same palettes, using the same subject matter, uh, and using the same lines. Uh, is, is kind of what branding is all about, you know like mm. McDonald's doesn't change their logo every time. It's always the logo is the centerpiece, and then they kind of bend off of that in different directions to create different situations, you know mm. uh, So you know, but that's that's another another topic that I feel like always gets stumbled upon is now nowadays you see these artists who are good, but they're not great and they're and they're making millions of dollars. And they're super famous, and then you have these other artists that are super talented that can't even get their feet off the ground. And then you start saying, okay, how much of this is marketing? How much of this is just being in the right place at the right time? And then how much of this is talent? You know? And mm. I think that you have to be able to, to juggle the three of them. And a lot of times, the artists hate marketing. You know, they don't want to. They don't want to do all that stuff because it feels fake, and it does. You know, I I I I lo- I actually enjoy marketing, but I don't like the feel of you know uh it it takes the the passion out of art you know when you're like sitting there if you pay for a sponsored post to show off one of your paintings it just feels like it cheapens the art in a way um you know but if you're paying for spot you know paying to to sponsor an ad to teach a class or something it's not the same you know it's a different different situation so I don't know. I, I feel like I'm, I'm rambling there. But <laughs> no, I don't know right. if I answered the question.
0: No, no, no. no. Yeah, you, you certainly do. And I want to pick cool. up on something that you said. You were talking about priorities. And what's very interesting for me is looking at everything that you've accomplished so far, what are your priorities now? Like, what are some short term goals that you have? And what's like the long term ambition? What, what, what could, if I could ask you, like, what, what would be a dream come true for you at this point in terms of your tattoo career?
1: You know that it's such a tough question because to be honest every dream and goal that I've set for myself I've achieved and then when you get there you're like yeah I don't know I kind of liked it better the other way you know huh. so I miss the days where I would just create art and not think about marketing it not think about building a fan base all that stuff but as a younger artist you can do that because you're not you're not really concerned about the long the long picture you're just to a point where you can sustain your art career. And, you know, so now I have a kid and I have other people relying on me. Uh, I, I, you know, I pretty much support my mother. Um, so, you know, now I have to think about, okay, I'm doing this painting. I start thinking about, okay, what size is this painting gonna be? I know that if I make this some weird size, people are gonna have difficulties getting it in a frame. If they have difficulties getting it in a frame, it's not gonna get on their wall. Uh, and if it doesn't get on their wall, it's not serving the purpose that I need it to serve. Uh, and then on top of that, if I paint this, you know, cute little bunny rabbit with a halo over its head, that's going to sell better than this weird ass thing that I draw up that nobody understands. Um, so all those thoughts go through my head. But then there's also the other side that pops in and says, who gives a shit what anybody wants? You're drawing for you. You want to you enjoy the process, too. So it's a constant battle of... of creating things that you're going to enjoy creating realizing that you still need to make money to provide for your kids, uh, your, your kid's future, your mother, all the, all these things, your girlfriend, and then also realizing that if you don't have a fan base that supports you, then you will not be able to live off of this, which means you have to get another job, which makes it so you don't have time to do art. I mean, it's, it's all kind of like a symbiotic situation. So if, if you want to work it, burger king and just do paintings on the side for fun there's absolutely nothing wrong with that um if you're proud you have to figure out like you know what your major priorities are and what needs to be in place in order to keep those priorities going um Mm. so yeah i don't right now i guess to to answer your question is i don't really know you know i i when i am in making tons of money, I wish I had more time to do art. And when I'm making tons of art, I wish I was making more money so I wouldn't have to worry about the money side of things. So I would say that the ultimate goal would probably be to to know that the financial stability will be there for the rest of my life and my kid's life and stuff like that. But then also uh, being able to create art at the same time Um, you know but then I also know this and doesn't have those those obstacles in the way of Mm. of having to get money and having all that stuff some people don't create as much you know I created I've created art uh, many times as a tattoo artist not always because I wanted to but because someone was waiting for that tattoo to be done by me and I don't think I would be where I am today if I didn't have people essentially forcing me to create art at certain mm. times of my life when I wasn't feeling like creating art.
0: That's really wise. And and this relationship between having to, you know, make a business that's like sustainable and successful and the tension that exists between that and, and creating art is something that I'm am Assuring you, every artist listening to us right now is experiencing as well. And this is something we're all familiar with. But just uh, just to kind of expand on that question, let's say money isn't an issue, right? Money isn't an issue. I'm trying to understand what's like the dream of a tattoo artist. So I'm going to give mine. So for example, money isn't an issue. My dream, I want to show at the Met, I want to show at the, like, if I know that I have a painting at the Met and I can invite my family here, please come see my painting at the Met. I feel like that right now is my, is my dream. Is there, is there, is there kind of like a tattoo version of that? Because I couldn't imagine how that might look like because your canvases, you know, you make a masterpiece, they walk off and they leave. And then it's like, what, how, how does that dream of, of your ultimate masterpiece look like?
1: and that's a, you know that's another crazy thing because um <clears throat> i remember back in 2009 i'd been in every tattoo magazine i'd won every award i'd been given you know the biggest canvases to work with and with an unlimited um, uh, unlimited budget you know within reason but it was like hey I can afford whatever you can put on my body, and you know it wasn't like I was going to be like, oh well, it's going to be a hundred million dollars. But <laughs> you know, I was I was given everything that I that I needed to create a masterpiece, and I would do the best I could at that particular point in time, and and they at that particular point in time relative to my career and what I was doing, those were masterpieces for for my career, and. So I've been given all of that stuff. Then in 2011, I decided I was like, I, I felt very lost. I was like, okay, I've done everything, uh, everything that I felt like I could do. My my, I had hit the ceiling in my mind, and so I opened up loose screw tattoo, and that just opened up all these doors of all these cool creative things I could do on, you know, how to decorate the lob, full marketing. Two April full days ago. Uh, two years ago, we printed off uh, what was it um, fifteen thousand fake parking tickets, and we basically put them on all the cars all throughout the city. And so then, when you opened it up, it would say April Fool's Day or April Fools, and then it would say, you know, from Loose Screw Tattoo.
0: Wow!
1: Hope we didn't piss you off too much. Here's fifty dollars off your next tattoo, and you know as And and that's not really art, you know, but it felt creative to me. It felt like it filled that creative void. To me, it was like, um, you know, Banksy does stuff like Mm -hmm. not everything he does is aesthetically as interesting as the concept behind what he's doing. He's just being creative all the time, you know. And so I opened my shop and then I start getting into all these scenarios where it's like, how can I creatively solve this problem where no other businesses would do this? One because maybe they're scared. Uh, you know, I know when I was talking about doing the, the parking ticket prank, a lot of people were scared of, of the consequences of it. Um, you know, but being that I was a tattoo shop, it was like, it almost kind of felt right. You know, if you did that as a car salesman, it would probably not be the same. Um, but yeah, so that opened up a lot of doors. Then I have a bunch of artists in my shop and I'm mentoring them. And that makes me feel good to be able to help them build their careers. And, and then I got on the TV show and that opened up a whole uh, bunch of new doors. And then, you know, now it's kind of like post TV show. It's like, I've been on TV. uh, I've opened my own shop. I have a tattoo convention that I throw. I've got a clothing line. I've got an, you know, this, um, this ink organizer business that I have, I have a nonprofit. So, you know, I don't really know, you know, I just kind of run through and then eventually something sparks and then I just move in that direction at this. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm just always busy. And I'd say right now, one of my goals is to get my clothing line kind of, I would love to start getting my clothing line in some stores. um, How to like get that rolling. Uh, I don't know. I really don't know, man. I mean, you know, I love painting murals. So, of course, I'd love to do more of those, but I don't have like a, I, you know, I think that goal that you have is, is, is uh, you know, a very definitive goal. And I think with that is how I think goals are achieved a lot easier when you have a definitive goal versus my kind of up in the air goal.
0: Uh, I really do love how you how you're thinking about it. It's it's and that that prank is is genius. I think that 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 is almost a whole topic of conversation, how to combine marketing plus performance art. I think that is brilliant. And uh, perhaps that would be a conversation for uh, another day because I know that you're busy and I'm increasingly conscious of your time. So perhaps you can tell everybody where they can find you if they're interested in tattoos, Clothing murals, all those things. Where can we get them?
1: Yeah, so you uh, know, pretty much search Jesse Smith tattoos on any uh, any platform, and you know, Google whatever, and you'll you'll find me. My website's Jesse Smith Tattoos. Uh, Instagram's Jesse Smith Tattoos. I want to say Facebook's like backslash Jesse Smith Art. Um, and ponyapparel.com which is essentially like this uh clothing line that i kind of created uh you know based off the tv show because they were calling me one trick pony on the tv show so i kind of like spun that um you know and tried to turn it into a positive thing because i you know as you were saying uh it, you know being a master of one is better than being a master of none and uh i mean that kind of what you were saying but yeah i've got the clothing line um i got the there, it's called Method Tattoo System. I've been actually interested in seeing if I can work that into the art world and see if it would help people organize their paint. Mm. Um, but it would have to be something like the golden bottles, you know what I mean? Um, but airbrush paint or whatever. Essentially, you can kind of see your paint from the butt end of the bottle. Mm. Uh, so it's really easy to pick out palettes that way, uh, being able to see all your ink from the, the, the butt end of those specific bottles. Um, and then I've got a nonprofit called the Giving Arts Foundation. And what we do is we uh, uh, have a bunch of artists create art to raise awareness for uh, environmental and uh, ocean conservation. Um, and then we just try to raise money that way and kind of put it back into the system. That one's relatively new, so we haven't really done but so much with it, uh, but it's moving in that direction. Beautiful. And I think that's it, man. and
0: yeah. we'll we'll put all those all those links in the show notes for everybody who wants to check all these things out. And uh, Jesse, this was a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast.
1: Hey, Ken. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. I wish we had get to talk a little bit more. There's a lot of questions I had for you.
0: Hey, man. This just sets up the next episode as far as I'm concerned.
1: Hey, whenever you're ready.
0: Thank you for joining me. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to see it grow, please take a moment to subscribe, rate it highly, and share it with a friend. If you'd like to become a supporter of the show and have access to exclusive content, please consider signing up as a patron at patreon.com slash kengoshen. For online lessons, please visit kengoshen.com slash lessons. Thanks again and see you next time.